following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Up to Terah, Abraham's father. Now a certain pattern emerges in this account of Shem. And the pattern goes like this. When so-and-so lived so many years, he had a certain son. And then lived so many more years and had other sons and daughters. Now without going over every single person, take a look at verse 16 in chapter 11. When Eber had lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. Now notice in this pattern that nobody ever dies. They just live so many years. If we went back to the account of Adam, we saw that after everybody lived so many years, they died. But not in this account. Let's just tuck that thought away. In a few minutes, I'll bring that back up. Now to our passage, the call of Abraham. He was called out of idolatry. Let's take a look, beginning with chapter 11, verse 27. This is the account of Terah. Terah became the father of Abram, Naor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abram and Naor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Naor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no children. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. When we take a look at this beginning account of Abraham, we notice in verse 7 that it is the account of Terah. The account of Terah. Now literally this means these are the generations of, or the family line of Terah. And this wording appears ten times throughout the book of Genesis. If you could take a look at the overhead. Well, that's pretty special. Terah gets his own marquee heading. Well, who gets their own heading throughout the book of Genesis? Well, the beginning of the heavens and the earth, Adam, Noah, Shem, Isaac, Jacob. But notice, Abraham does not get his own account. Interesting. But why does Terah get an account? And why is Terah's account one of the longest accounts in the book of Genesis, besides that of Jacob? Well, if we did a little scouting around in the rest of Genesis and read some of the other stories, beginning with Terah's sons, Abraham, Naor, and Haran, as mentioned in this passage, we see this family tree. I like family trees. Let's take a look at this and see who comes from Terah. First of all, we see that Lot does. There's a big story of Lot in Genesis 14 and 19. And Lot is often seen as the contrast to Abraham. We see Rebekah, Abraham's daughter-in-law, 
comes from the line of Terah. Rachel, Jacob's wife, Abraham's granddaughter-in-law, all from the line of Terah. So Terah gets his own account. Terah is a key figure as we transition from Genesis 11 to the rest of the book. Well, what was Terah like? So often we hear the phrase, like father, like son. What was Terah like? Please turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. Joshua chapter 24, verses 1 through 3. In this section, Joshua is renewing the covenant with Israel near Shechem. And we'll read that later in Abraham's account. And as Joshua renews this covenant with Israel, he reminds them of their history. And where does he begin? He begins with Abraham. Follow along as I read, beginning in verse 2, chapter 24. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Naor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac and so forth. Two things we know from this passage. First of all, Terah lived beyond the river. And we'll get back to that in a moment. But more importantly, Terah worshipped other gods. Terah worshipped other gods. He was an idolater. Though he was in the line of Shem, and Noah had blessed the line of Shem, through the hundreds of years that line had turned to idolatry. Again, this is the grand echo throughout Genesis, from Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. The Lord saw that every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil all the time. Surely Terah, trained up in the sons, in the way that he was familiar. And more than likely, Abraham practiced idolatry. Now, Terah lived beyond the river. Where's that? We take a look at the map. The river was the Euphrates River in the land of Ur. Now, if we went back to our text passage in chapter 11, verse 31, we see that Terah leads his family out of Ur which is in Mesopotamia. What was it like to live in Ur? Well, they revered the moon gods there. And in Ur, at about the time that Abraham was alive, it was either being built or was built, there was a great ziggurat, or temple, of Ur. It was almost the size of a football field. It was huge. So here in the city of Ur was this great big temple, a reminder of the people that they worship the moon gods. This would be a reminder that to be a good citizen of Ur, you would fall in line and worship those moon gods as well. Idolatry. The fear of the gods. A massive temple. Does this remind you of any other place? For four years, our family lived in central Thailand in a small village. And in that small village, there was a hill behind the village. And on that hill was a Buddha image that was about four stories tall. 
Every morning the townspeople would wake up and the eye of the Buddha would be upon them. At lunchtime when they were eating, they could look up and that same eye was looking over them. When they went to bed at night, there was the Buddha looking down upon them. An ever-present reminder that to be Thai is to be Buddhist. Can people escape idolatry's influence? Yes. Yes, they can, and they do. How? The same way Abraham did, the gracious call of God. Abraham was called out of idolatry. He lived in a land of idolatry. His father was an idolater. Humanly speaking, there is no hope for this man to know the living God. As you and I look around us, we look at certain people groups, we think about people back home, and their hearts seem to be so hardened. And even though they haven't made an idol that you can look at, we know that there are idols of the heart. And there seems to be no hope. But God. But God. But God intervened in the life of Abraham. And we'll see later that he appeared to Abraham in the land of Ur. He intervenes for people around us. And if you and I are here this morning and we know this God, and we know the God of Abraham, it is only because the grace of God has intervened in our lives. Praise Him. So for a moment, in your mind's eye, just picture a people group that you're reaching out to, a person, a family member. And it's been difficult and you've prayed over many years. But I want you this moment just to take a look at this person or people group and think, with the grace of God, this life can be totally, totally changed. And I pray that you and I might be encouraged to keep looking to God for change in these people's lives. So Abraham called out of idolatry. Now before moving on, let's find out what happened to Terah. In verse 32, Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. Do you remember Shem's genealogy, where people just lived so many years and didn't die? But with the death of Terah, the dust finally settles on the way that God dealt with the world. And now he begins anew with the call of Abraham. So let's take a closer look at the man Abraham. As we look in chapter 12, beginning with verse 1, verses 4 and 5, we notice that Abraham was called into obedience. Abraham was called into obedience, beginning in verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. In verse 4, So Abram left. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Just a quick note, 
Often in our minds when we think about Abraham, we think of Abraham, his wife, and Lot just kind of merrily going about the desert path. Well, it wasn't just the three of them. It was a whole parade. It was a caravan. He had servants. He had possessions. Abraham was a wealthy man. And later on, there'll be a slide, an artist's conception of what it might have looked like as Abraham and Terah began from Ur and headed out to Haran. There were lots of people. But it's often asked, when was Abraham called? And when did he respond? Was there a delay in his faith? In our passage thus far, we have Terah picking up his family, leaving Ur, and going to Haran, where they stayed. But we don't really see why he did this. There's a fascinating explanation. It's found in the book of Acts. So if you could please turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 2. In this section, one of our first Christian martyrs, Stephen, is explaining to the Jews why he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And as he begins his explanation, he begins in the same place that Joshua began when he renewed the covenant with the Israelites. He began with the call of Abraham. Please follow with me in Acts chapter 7, beginning with verse 2. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. A fascinating explanation. What do we get out of this certain passage? First off, we see that God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia. This was not mentioned in the Genesis account. We see that Abraham was called in Mesopotamia before Haran, so that would mean most likely in Ur. For some reason, his father seemed to be influenced by his call. And for some reason, Abraham stayed on in Haran until his father died. Now, you know what's fun? It's these historical fiction books because they try to fill in all the gaps that we have questions about. There's so many details I think we'd like to fill in about this time in Abraham's life. Like, why did they stay in Haran so long? Was Terah ill and could not make the travel? Did they need to build up supplies for the land that they were going to? Did Abraham's faith waver and forget the call? Did the family simply enjoy the comforts of Haran? Now, it's fun to find out, and historical fiction writers have lots of fun things to say. But really, in the Bible, we don't know a lot about their time in Haran. But when we piece both Acts and Genesis together, it sounds like Abraham was right in step with God all along. 
He left Ur like he should. He stayed on in Haran like he should. He left Haran as the Lord told him like he should. Nowhere in these passages do I see Abraham blamed for his lack of faith. So the former idolater walked closely with his God. This evidence even more as he continues on in his journey in the promised land. Please follow along if we go back to Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 6. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, or seed, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. We see that Abraham obeyed in the face of other idolaters. Interesting, the tree of Morah. Why was that mentioned? Let's think about it. You're in a hot climate. Where do you like to go in Thailand when it's hot? In the shade, under a tree, in air conditioning. You want to be cool. Well, in this time in Canaan, the trees were a place of gathering for people to cool off and to listen to other religious leaders. We often hear about the Buddha teaching under the shade of the bow tree, a place where religious teachers gather their disciples. It's noted in this text that there were Canaanites in the land. The Canaanites worshipped the fertility gods. They too were idolaters. So here, God again appears to Abraham, and Abraham's response he built an altar, a public place of worship right in the face of other idolaters. In one sense, this was a dangerous thing to do. He was flying in the face of the religious crowd. But he had just received the promise that the land to his offspring or seed would be his. And so from this, we see that he based his obedience on the promises of God. There seems to be a certain candidness in the life of Abraham. He wasn't ashamed of his belief. He wasn't afraid of being made fun of. So we see again, he obeyed for everybody to see. He built another altar between Bethel and Ai, and he called on the name of the Lord. The first time that that is mentioned since the grandson of Adam. His faith was open for all to see. His faith was a natural part of his life. I've learned from my wife how to make our faith a natural part of our lives. She tells this story as many years ago. I was a stay-at-home dad. I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old. And my wife went out to work. And she would say, and she worked in an office, she would say on Monday morning, her non-Christian friends would come in 
And they'd start boasting about how many they had on Friday night. And they'd glory in how they fell down the stairs in a drunken stupor on Saturday night. And they'd all laugh and giggle and all that. How could my wife top that? But then she began to realize all of these people were just naturally talking about what happened in their lives. Why can't she just naturally talk about what she did over the weekend? And so she just began very naturally saying, well, on Sunday I went to church and heard this really great message. Now, I don't know what their thoughts were, but she began to weave into these regular conversations her faith. It just became a natural conversation to talk about her faith. And so I've learned from that, like when I'm with some of my family members who don't know the Lord, not to kind of say, oh, I need some quiet time, but to say, you know, I need to spend some time with God. I'll see you in a few minutes. Let's make it a natural part of our life. For Abraham, obedience and the life of faith was simply an expression of his life. We're all challenged by his life to walk simply with God, with transparency, without embarrassment, without hiding the fact from others, unless you live in a closed country. Abraham called out of idolatry, called into obedience, and finally, he was called into blessing. Let's take a look at the promises that God gives to Abraham, beginning in verse 2 and 3 and verse 7 again. God says, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And again in verse 7, To your offspring, and the Hebrew word is seed, I will give this land. To sum that up, up on the overhead, God promised Abraham a great nation. But here was an individual whose wife, as yet, was unable to have children. Abraham would be blessed with material and spiritual prosperity. He would have a great name or honor. He would be a blessing to others. Those who blessed him would be blessed in return. But anyone who cursed Abraham would be cursed by God. All peoples on earth would be blessed through him, and to his offspring, or seed, God would give the land. These promises to Abraham are known as the Abrahamic Covenant. Now, what's a covenant? A covenant is simply an agreement between two or more persons. What were some other covenants in the Bible? We have the Noahic covenant, that God would not destroy the earth again with water. We have the Mosaic covenant, cursings or prosperity in the promised land based on the people's obedience or disobedience. We have the Davidic covenant, God's promise that there would be a kingly line through David. And we have the new covenant, based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Now some covenants were conditional. You had to do something or else it wouldn't come to pass. But some covenants were unconditional. God was going to do it no matter what. The promises to Abraham were unconditional. 
God was going to do it. Note again in these verses how many times God says, I will, I will, I will. He will do it. So what does the call of Abraham have to do with you and with me? What do these promises given to him have to do with you and me? There's a fascinating commentary on this passage in the book of Galatians. If you could turn with me to Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. Galatians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. This is the Apostle Paul's commentary on the life of Abraham, the very passages that we have just been reading this morning. Beginning with Galatians chapter 3, verse 6. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Skip forward to verse 14. Christ redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Skip to verse 16. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but, and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. And in verse 29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. The gospel is announced in advance. The Gentiles, you and I, would be justified by faith. The seed is Christ. All future blessing is wrapped up in Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is so much more to be unpacked about the relationship of Abraham and the gospel. It would be for another message. But for this morning, I'd like to wrap it up with the following summary and application. First of all, there's a lot in the life of Abraham and the Thai Buddhist and animistic peoples that they can relate to. Abraham came out of idolatry, yet he was not ashamed of his new faith in God. He obeyed and made his faith public. If there is a genuine work in the people that we are working with, then it is perfectly fitting for us to ask of them the same response that God did of Abraham. In central Thailand, there was a woman that we knew who came to faith in Christ. And she began faithfully going to church. She came to our small group. And she really grew in the Lord. But so often during our prayer request time, she would say, you know, 
I feel bothered about my occupation because I still make these flowers that I sell to the Buddhists and these flowers are particularly for the religious ceremonies. She said, I don't know how I can get out of that. Now in my own opinion, my own opinion, I felt this hindered her witness and growth in the Lord. Of course, I wasn't in her shoes. I wouldn't be the one that has to get a new occupation. But for all of us, there just needs to be a clean break from idolatry. The break needs to be clean in order for us to grow and really thrive in the Lord. And Abraham is a good example to bring to the tie, to animistic peoples, of somebody who made a clean break with idolatry. Secondly, Abraham's faith was based on the promises of God. Yet he never saw these promises fulfilled in his life, so says the writer of the book of Hebrews. For us, we too need to live on the promises of God. It's very easy for us to focus on the commands of God, but we often find we can't keep them like we'd really like to. I read a book several years ago that really encouraged me. It was called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It was written by the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, Brooklyn Tabernacle, Pastor Jim Cimbala. And he said in the book, I have found that if I focus on the promises of God, the commands of God take care of themselves. Interesting, where we shift our focus. We can be so overly conscientious and wondering, did I do enough? Did I do the right thing? Did I have the right motive? That we forget about the grand, unconditional promises that God has given to our people that will free us and allow us to let those commands just pour out of our lives almost without thought. Could you take a moment now and think about a promise in Scripture that God has given to you, that God has spoken to you about. How about Jesus' words? I will never leave you. In my Father's house are many rooms. I am going there to prepare a place for you. How about the Apostle Paul? All things work together for good to those who love God. These are just a few of the many promises in the Bible. Can you and I just simply believe them? And with childlike simplicity like Abraham, live out of them. Thirdly, from Hebrews chapter 11, we see that Abraham obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Now, I think a lot of, in this, a lot of us in this room have either been in the place of Abraham or are right now in the place of Abraham. That is, we don't know where we're going next. But God showed Abraham step by step where he would have him go next. Abraham simply had to show up. He just simply had to leave 
Ur and Haran and show up in Canaan. And then God showed them the next thing. Perhaps now, God is directing you one way or another. And you don't know how it's going to turn out. But like Abraham, sometimes we just simply need to show up and do the next thing. What is the next thing you need to do? Is it filling out an application? Is it consulting with your mom or dad? Is it asking questions of your leaders? Is it visiting a place? Is it praying? Is it waiting? Is it buying tickets? What is the next step that God is calling you to do in your life of faith? This past summer, our OMF had a conference with Jill and Stuart Briscoe, and they've both together written many books and have encouraged the Christian world for years. I was talking to Stuart about God's guidance and how do you know God's guidance? And we talked about how he, by faith, left England to pastor a church in Wisconsin. And I said to Stuart, how did you know God was leading you to do this? And he said, I never knew until I buckled my seat on the airplane. Another illustration I've heard, if you were to travel across the country, you don't wait until all the lights are green. You take one stoplight at a time. Like Abraham. We just simply need to make decisions by faith and let God lead us one step at a time. And finally, there is such a beautiful unity between the Old and New Testaments. Here in Genesis 12, the gospel is announced in advance. The God of the old is the same as the God of the new, is the same as our God today. He never changes. So the same fear and love and reverence that the Old Testament saints gave, gave God should be the same kind of fear and love and reverence that we give our God. We should tremble at the thought of disobeying Him. Yet we should rejoice in the promises of forgiveness in the gospel. If we are in Christ, then Abraham is our father, and his story becomes our story. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we love you. Someday it will be amazing for us to go back and see in history the time that you appeared to Abraham and Ur. That stunning revelation when you changed his life forever. Thank you for leading him to the promised land and for announcing the gospel in advance to him. Thank you that in Christ, those of us here that are in Christ, receive these blessings that you promised to Abraham. We look forward to the grandest blessing of all, to seeing you face to face when you return, to dwelling in a new heavens and a new earth. But Father, we ask you now to help us as we don't see all things clearly, 
We must live and walk by faith as Abraham did. I pray for those of us here who need to seek you for the next step in their journey of faith, who need to see you open or close a door in their lives. Lord, I pray for those of us here who need to cut out idolatry in our lives. Whatever might be hindering our walk with you, with your spirit, may we cut it out. Lord, we also pray for our Thai friends and our friends in the tribes as they need to grapple with these issues of serving the living and true God. I pray for Pastor Tim and this evangelist right now as they are in villages, as they are sharing the gospel with these people, that they might realize the goodness of God and the tremendous promises in the gospel. Bless them today, I pray. And Lord, now as we worship you in song, may our hearts attune with you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.